Welcome to The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Saturday, January the 9th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, Donald Trump banned from Twitter. The silencing. Plus, another look, or I should say listen, to the audio of an attack on a 14-year-old boy by a 22-year-old woman and some additional information that I had not known 24 hours ago when I spoke about this on this podcast. That And one or two things in addition to contemplate. Coming up next. The Muslim ban in 2017. Las Vegas in 2017. Charlottesville in 2017. Pipe bombs in 2018. The Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018. El Paso in 2019. Christchurch, New Zealand in 2019. Coronavirus lies. And three... 170,000 people dead in the United States from coronavirus in 2020 and here in 2021. A terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol building in 2021. And it was not until Two days after that terrorist attack on the United States Capitol building, this week in 2021, that Donald J. Trump was permanently banned from using Twitter, banned from the platform. I'm not going to ask the question why it took so long. Because you know why. And you know darn well that if I had done any of what Donald Trump had done on Twitter, I would have been banned permanently a long time ago. In fact, I have been banned from Twitter over some absolute rubbish two years ago. A bit more than that now. Oh, no, no, it was about... Less than two years ago, actually. Imagine a lawyer um, being banned off of Twitter for some copyright thing. It was just total nonsense. And I deleted it before, and I was still banned. It's, it's incredible. Incredible. I got banned off a platform. And I had deleted this before the ban came in. It was some video of... Uh, 
a Premier League match. It wasn't even the Premier League match. It was literally the two teams, my team, Watford, who are no longer in the Premier League, literally walking out onto the field of the pre-match introductions to none other than Elton John's I'm Still Standing. Well, I was not still standing on Twitter. And that's what I got banned for. I get it. It's part of the Premier League's broadcast. I understand that. But are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It was the first 10 seconds of them walking onto the field. It wasn't them playing the match. It was them walking onto the field. I understand as an attorney, I understand the cost. I've done some of that law, so shame on me. I should know better. But are you kidding? I'm ba- I'm ba- my account is gone for that? The nearly 5,000 followers that I had? But, you know, Donald Trump, you know, the Muslim ban, you know, the, 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 you know, shouting that on Twitter, that didn't get him banned. That didn't even get him warned. That didn't even get him anything. Oh, Las Vegas, oh, you know, nothing. 59 people dead, oh, no, nothing. Charlottesville, oh, both sides, oh, yeah. You know, Nazis, uh, yeah, they behaved very nicely, didn't they? Oh, no, uh, no ban there. Pipe bombs with people exhorting Donald Trump and pipe bombs sent to all of these American politicians by this thug down there in Florida. Oh, no, 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 no. Twitter just keeps... Whistling in the dark. Tree of Life Synagogue, where people are murdered, Jewish people murdered by, executed by this racist Trump, you know, that's not, that's, you know, redundant, right? Racist Trump supporter, you know. Nonetheless, this thug, this white male thug, murders, you know, 15, I think it is, 12, 13, 15 Jewish people. And, you know, oh, nothing. Trio in Pittsburgh, Trio Life Synagogue. Oh, then he gets on TV there, the orange one, and goes, well, you know, if they had been more armed in there, I'm sure that they would have been able to deal with this. You know, that guy, the cheek of him, if they had been armed in there, they would, they would have been able to deal with. Deal with what? Uh, well, the, the Capitol Police were armed. How did that, how did that go down? This week, well, if they had been armed, ah, what, what happened there? Somebody talk to that fool. I'm not going to. In fact, we've got, what, um, 11 more days of this nonsense? Of this thuggery and terror and lying and gaslighting and propaganda and Nazism? We've got 12, 11 more days of this? He's got to go now. I'm going to get to that. But my whole point here, El Paso, the shooter says, oh, you know, he, Trump, Trump inspired me. And I follow him on Twitter and da, da, da. And all of you follow him on Twitter. Well, not all of you, but there's so many people who uh, are in politics that follow him. And I can understand that part. And the journalists, I can understand, right? But everybody else, why are you following him? Why did you follow him? And Christchurch, same thing, New Zealand. Look, this isn't about Twitter. Of course they should have banned him. You and I called for that. 
for years. But that's not my line of inquiry. And my line of inquiry and my line of analysis and investigation here is not going to be about, well, you know, the speech that gets policed and doesn't get policed because I've just told you. I've actually illustrated that, that to you with my own personal case. And you've probably experienced the same thing. You've been banned. I'm sure somebody listening to me right now has been banned from Twitter for something really innocuous. Not for threatening someone. Not for um, anything like that. Not for any kind of uh, deviant or inappropriate thing. Or abhorrent thing. But something like some BS. That's really, B- I mean, real BS. I mean, look who, you want to talk about copyrights, right? <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Look at all of the times that the orange one was playing music of Neil Young, who has sued him for something like $165,000 to stop playing this music. The Rolling Stones, Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, and so many other artists who have all filed legal actions or at least have sent cease and desist letters to Donald Trump's campaign and to Donald Trump to tell him, look, knock it off. We have not given you permission and we're not giving you permission to play our music. You are in violation of copyright and everything else. You do not have our consent or permission to play this music. He still plays it. Village people, he still plays it. He's even up there trying to dance to it, thinking he's Danny Terrio. Or thinking he's uh, on Soul Train with Don Cornelius. So it's actually disgraceful. If you had seen him on that Senate floor dancing around with these thugs and terrorists, he would have been right at home because he is one of them, a thug and a terrorist. Anybody who goes on to talk to Bob Woodward and say, oh, Bob, uh, this is a deadly, this is a deadly virus. It's more deadly than your strenuous flus. And then tells you and me that there's nothing to see here. And it's a brother loves traveling show. A brother loves traveling salvation virus. I know I'm kind of uh, bastardizing Neil Diamond's great song from back in the day. I love that song. I need to put that on my music breaks uh, when I tweet that out again in the next (laughs) 24 hours or less. I don't know. That's a great, I love that song. I know everybody likes Sweet Caroline, and I do too. But I love Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show. But anyway, I slightly digress here. I mean, the point I'm making here is that he lied. Just like George W. Bush lied, and a million Iraqis found themselves dead. A million people found themselves see this is the thing we should start i mean we shouldn't but i think we also should let's start to take away 
what the nationality is, although that does matter because I'm not going to engage in any, any, any erasure of anyone. People, a million people, right? Because, oh, weapons of mass destruction, though, that never existed. And I'm going to get to this theme later on when I talk about this video, audio of which you're going to hear again here, and it's going to be unbleeped, unlike in yesterday's episode where it was bleeped. Because there's some additional information that you may not be aware of that I certainly was not aware of 24 hours ago. It's been in the public domain for a couple of weeks, but I just was not aware of it. So therefore, you wouldn't have been if you were listening to this episode yesterday that I did. But you've got these lies, lies, lies. And it's usually a white man in power lying to you. Not to say that there aren't black people who are in power who lie. Of course there are. I can talk about Mugabe. I can talk about all of these dictators on the African continent and in other places. Of course, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But I'm not on the African continent at the moment. right? I'm, I'm here in the United States. Which is not to say that I won't have conversations about the African continent. Because that is going to happen uh, during this year. Um, this is not going to be a podcast that deals only with North America or even just for, with the United Kingdom either. Uh, as I've done before, there's an episode I did on Sweden and what was going on there. And this was before the, well, the herd immunity was just beginning. This was around April or May of last year. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. You can go back uh, if you care to and listen to that episode that I did. And about the, the prime minister there and, and the kinds of things that's going on, the power structuring there and, and what the dynamic was with the, the political uh, atmosphere there and the way the parliamentary system was going there and, and, and the, the way that uh, power was being uh, ruled, I mean, shared, distributed, uh, the, the kind of political dynamic, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. But the whole thing is, the violations, right? These, this series of violations, this, the copyright stuff, I'm going to just keep playing the music anyway at the rally. Whereas, for me, 10 seconds, 10 seconds of a video, 10 seconds of them walking onto the pitch, you're gone, done. And people being banned for even less than that. And then having to start from scratch. And then some people posting the most egregious content. They're still on Twitter. Oh, you know, it's okay. We can put all this stuff on here. Oh, you know, they don't get banned. They're not banned. They're not banned. So all I will say about Jack and Twitter and Twitter safety is, by the way, thank you for doing the right thing. You know, finally. <laughs> We've only been telling you. I'm only telling you. I've been I've been on to them from for years about banning Trump and you probably have too. I bet you have as well. We've been we have been on to him, Jack Dorsey. And Twitter safety and all of them for years, not just about banning Trump, but also can you get some other protections on here? Can you get an edit button on here? Can you do this? Can you do that? So that you've got groups of people who aren't being... You know who the group 
is that gets targeted most online? Women, but specifically black women, women of color, are attacked more than anybody else on, on Twitter. Women in general, white women, black women, Asian, Latinx, native, all over the world are attacked on Twitter every single second of every single day. And Twitter needs to do more to end that, to end that, to ban these people. And I get it. They jump. They're like whack-a-mole, right? You, you, you just put them down here and then they pop up somewhere else. Well, you have to do that. All the energy you spend on suspending people on BS, you need to start getting rid of these accounts, locking them down. I know you've been doing that with some of these these accounts that are dangerous, but you need to continue doing it and you need to also implement some additional protections. And they have been doing that, giving users the power to decide who gets to respond to them, which I think is good. That's kind of like the edit button right there, really. You can set the temperature or volume of response by either Sticking it to, well, sticking it is the wrong word, by either setting your edit control to A, only followers of yours who can respond, B, everybody, and C, nobody. I think that that's really, that really is the edit button, isn't it? I mean, I, that's really the edit button right there in a nutshell. That's <laughs> pretty much, that is it, actually. <laughs> and I tweeted about all of it. We need an edit button. It's like, duh. There's an edit button. That is the edit button in terms of editing who can respond to you. And I realized nobody responded to the tweet. So, <laughs> see, no, nobody was. So you weren't even polite enough. You weren't polite enough to say, hey, look, there's an edit button already. <laughs> you didn't want me to look stupid, huh? You want, you want me to leave myself to be looking stupid, but you didn't want to emphasize the stupidity that you got it wrong. <laughs> Listen, I get things wrong, right? I mean, I get things wrong. You get things wrong, right? I, I'm not sitting here thinking, I'm not one of these people sitting here thinking, oh, I, I have the answer to everything. And there are people, I, I, I've met people like that who really do think they have the answer to everything. And it's usually in the legal profession and they, they think they know everything about the law. And then when they don't, I just sit there, you know, in, in the pre-COVID days, I just look at them. <laughs> I look across at them. Just, I just look at them. I don't give them a death stare. I just look at them as a fellow member of the bar, you know, as a lawyer. I just look at them. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you think you know all this stuff. Don't sit here pontificating to me or to people in this room, this conference room. You know, come on. You don't... You, you just want you, you know, the people who listen to me talking about this on a podcast, you know, the people who just love to hear the sound of their voice. And it doesn't matter what profession it doesn't have to be the legal profession, because but it does traffic there really heinously who these these are the kinds of lawyers who went to law school and they just love to talk, even when the Socratic method was not being thrown at them by the law professor. You know, they, they just wanted to talk and they would just ask these ridiculously inane Questions and they would try to sound erudite, e e r u d i t, right? They would want to sound that way, and and they just look bad. 
You know that person. You know, you sat next to that person in school, didn't you? I, I know I did. Or sat about two desks away from them. <laughs> I divert for a bit because I think that sometimes, well, uh, I, listen, this is what I'm getting at here. People are complaining. Oh, he got banned. It's censorship. It's not censorship. It's not censorship. I mean, I think my case is, <laughs> it could be construed that. I think that there is a policing of speech and that policing of speech on Twitter, which is a, a forum or a fora forum that is controlled by white men principally because... I say principally, but that's probably not the right word to use. But is controlled by white men. Jack Dorsey is a white male. I think he's 40 or 41 or 40. He's, in his, he's a young guy, right? He's the CEO or whatever of, of, of Twitter. He, and, and he and his team, if you, if you went... And they, they, they're here in San Francisco, folks. And I could take a relative, relatively short trip over to their headquarters here in San Francisco. Their worldwide headquarters. I could take a trip there, right? And if I were to go into there, I would never get there or go there. And why would I do that now of all times? But if you went to Twitter's offices, if I did, if you did, you would find a brain trust that is largely white. And you'd probably find maybe a few people who are Asian. You might find one or two or three or five. But for the most part, you will find white people in that circle, right? You will not find any black people there. Or if you do, they are people who don't have the kind of input, meaningful input, to affect things decision-making-wise. And I won't say that they are mascots and I won't say that they are tokens. I'll leave that to you. you if you would call them that, that's your call to make, of course. Goes without me even saying. But what I will say, because... I do think that sometimes glosses over the seriousness of the problem. You can call them tokens. That's up to you. But I'm going to say that you're only going to see one person there. And that only highlights how severe the issue and the problem is. But again, is it a problem? For them, it's not. The people who are white, who are controlling Twitter, they don't see any problem. Oh, I don't we, we're doing fine here. We don't have any diversity problems. You know, we just, you know, we just only have only one black person here. But that's diversity. When you have one black person, that's diversity. We included one black person. That's inclusion. <laughs> and there are people who actually think that. That diversity means hiring one. Inclusion means including one person. And by the way, diversity and inclusion are two different things. My whole point is, is that the policing of speech on Twitter is being done by white people, is being done by white men particularly. And so I'm sure there have been studies done that show that the people who are most likely to be banned, suspended, whatever you want to call that, frozen out of their accounts for 12 hours, are most likely to be black and brown people. And most likely to also be female rather than male. And not only that, right? 
this 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 is something that happens for innocuous things whereas for somebody white perhaps in some of these cases the thing they get banned for is a lot worse or even they don't get banned for it at all as we've seen with Donald Trump i mean all the times that he's violated twitter's terms of service calling black women dogs and Talking stuff about Omarosa. Uh, no, no, Jack Dorsey didn't do anything about that, did he now? I, I'm not going to break into a Ray Charles song here. Uh, because hitting the road is not what I want Jack Dorsey to do. Although hiring some black folk who make decisions, right? And not just, oh, there's an advisory board for those black people and for race. The advisory board in the back. No, 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 no. This ain't anything that you're going to disaggregate yourself from. You are going to hire people. That's what the charge should be. I hope that he woke up on New Year's Day and said, I'm going to put a meaningful infrastructure in place where black people make decisions at this company. And... They can report back to me and let me know what kinds of things they're doing. End of story. I may occasionally ask a question or two, but I'm going to leave that for them to decide. They know that better as black people than I do as a white man. But, you know, what there might be is, and I don't know that this is true. This is me speculating. What there might be is at Twitter, oh, here's a board for for community relations. I mean, what does that entail? Community relations. Community relations. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, come on, folks. I talk about the way language is used and how important it is. But so that's my thing with this whole thing. You know, I'm glad the guy's been banned permanently. I know he's going to do the whack-a-mole thing. He went on uh, the POTUS account tweeted some, you know, some other divisive incendiary BS and bullcrap and, and propagandistic Nazi stuff and garbage, right? And they, they waxed his ass with the quickness. He was gone. Gone. He was done. And so they got rid of him there. They blocked his tweet, got rid of it. And someone, of course, these people screenshotted it. Of course they did. But... That's going to be his existence on social media platforms. I think Paula, not Paula, somebody else banned him. I know Paula's been taken off by Apple. They've taken that offline, and, and uh, I think, off of Apple. Um, and I think uh, Michael Flynn's account got banned on Twitter permanently, and Sidney Powell, I think, as well. They need to ban all these people. You know why? Why? Because people are going to say, well, that's the first amendment. Censored. No, 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 no. These people are causing real damage to the country. People are dying. People are being killed. Coronavirus. I mean, this is the other heinous thing is that you had 370,000 people die from this virus over the last now 10 and a half months or so. And what, what happened? What happened? You know, this guy spread lie after lie. And no, Jack Dorsey's not going to do anything. You know, Mark Zuckerberg. No, 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 no. And Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, they actually acted to ban him first before Twitter did, at least ban him for a couple of weeks. And I think they're going to ban him permanently as well. I, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, they, there may be bans across the board for him. And that's what needs to happen. You know, it's interesting that the lawmakers on Capitol Hill 
decide to impeach him again when they are struck, right? When people are cavorting and smearing crap all over the walls of the Capitol and basically taking dumps in Speaker Pelosi's office and stealing her laptop as they did. And now we're going to go after him again. When you could have gone after him for the Muslim travel ban stuff, you could have gone after him for the emoluments clause violations. You could have gone after him for all kinds of things. I mean, the Muslim travel ban um, may have been a bit more difficult to do in terms of an impeachment because there is, sadly, that's not called a high crime or misdemeanor. Emoluments clause definitely is, you know, inciting insurrection and violence and terrorism is a high crime and misdemeanor. And so he's going to be impeached. That's going to happen now. And there's report, there's supports, supports, there's reports of Republican support for it in the Senate um, to remove. You got Lisa Murkowski, the senator of Alaska, the Republican, so, quote, reportedly questioning her existence in the pie. I wish she had done that um, a few years back. But look, she's making, a, she's made, I'll, I'll give her a letter, I'll give her a lot of credit here. Uh, at least she's openly doing it. Better late than never. You know, I can say that about a lot of these folks now. But a lot of these Republicans, including her, need to be examined on what they did and their role in all of this sorry story, right? Because she voted to acquit him. I mean, come on. It's been, it's been 11 months and exactly four days. And you know that I'm somebody who thinks that dates are important. Dates in history are very important. These are markers of time. These are things, these are elements that measure how much we've learned or not learned in an age, in a century, in a generation, in an epoch. It, we do, time is so important and how we mark it, how we use it are very important indeed. And not only that, how we remember time, how we remember who we were, who we are, who we're going to be in 10 seconds from now, from now, from now, from now. That's why you hear me using dates a lot on this podcast. Because it's important. Because history is important. And we all know that history is important. Some of us think it's not. Some of us probably, oh gosh, ooh, history. It's all very important. Education is very important. And I mean, all of this stuff is. I think we have a real duty to, to stick to that. To facts. To facts. Very important. Lisa Mikowski, the senator out of Alaska, Republican, is questioning her existence in the party. But 11 months and four days ago, she voted to acquit Donald Trump of obstruction of Congress and of abuse of power. Every last one of those Republicans, except one, all went along with Lisa Mikowski. All of them. Mitt Romney stood by himself, tears in his eyes. That guy was crying. Tears in his eyes. On the, on the Senate floor, you can go look at the speech, 
when he said that I am going to vote to convict him on abuse of power, and he was the first and only one in his own party to vote against the person in the White House who is of the same party as he. Of these three impeachments, Clinton and then Johnson before him, Andrew Johnson back in the 1800s, Clinton in the 1900s, late 1900s, and now Donald J. Trump in 2019 at the time. Of those three impeachments, this was the first one where someone in the same party as the impeached person voted against them in the Senate. So in 2020, Mitt Romney there crying, tears in his eyes. I'm not, I'm not making fun of the cry. I think it's good to cry. I think it's important to uh, express your feelings. That's really important. It's healthy. It's important. You're connected to something. You're connected to yourself. And, and especially for men, I'm really talking directly to men now who are listening to this, males who are listening. Do it. Try crying. It actually helps you. It actually does. I'm not joking. It's not, this is not someone, oh, you're going soft. No, 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 no. That's strength, man. Take that for what it is. And I'll tell you something else for nothing. If you cry, you'll actually feel a little bit better that you did. It's a release. It's purity. It's a cleansing. So what we have now is this crisis, this crisis of, of conscience or, or, or of confidence, depending on which, that some of these folks in the Republican part of the Senate are going through now about this terrorist thug who's still at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And I think they're going to vote for it. I think they're going to vote to remove him in the Senate. The impeachment is going to happen in the House. That's going to happen. They've got the votes. They have enough co-signers on the uh, bill from, uh, from the, uh, excuse me, the legislation from Congresswoman Elon Omar. I'm so proud of her. Man, oh man. And by the way, full disclosure, we follow each other on Twitter. I am so proud of her. You know, you know, she was being attacked in 2019. And I was one of the many people who put out a statement on a video on Twitter supporting her and telling everybody to show her your love and appreciation. And it's really good to see her leading like this. You know, fighting for the people. That's the kind of thing I like to see in people who claim that they care about the people. They're leading by example and Congresswoman Elon Omar is one of them. She doesn't, she's not, the congre- she's not the congressional leader of the district I'm in. I wish she was, by the way. But that would mean that Speaker Pelosi would not be the speaker. Of, well, she could be the speaker of the House. She just wouldn't be representing San Francisco. And look, I have praised Speaker Pelosi and I have 
disagreed and critiqued Speaker Pelosi. Uh, look, I, again, I have a push and pull relationship with politicians, but particularly Speaker Pelosi because she's here in San Francisco. And I'm a, literally a stone fr- stone's throw away from where she is here in San Francisco. And, she, and, and uh, as I said before, I've seen her in person, never met her in person, but I've seen her in person several times. Um, and I do think that, um, that if you take out the politics, she's probably a very decent person, very nice person, you know. But politics is a dirty sport. And when you play with it, you get burned. Politics is, is dirty, but it's fascinating. Because you are looking at players on a chessboard. And I'm a big chess fan. <laughs> well, not, not as big a chess fan as I used to be. But I love, you know, the, the plotting, the chessboard. You move that knight, you move that rook, you move that pawn, and the queen comes out. And the queen gets to come out and play. And it's an army she's leading. And look out. Look out. You've been warned. Get on my back and we're going to start taking over the other side of this chessboard. And if you use the queen in the right way, her strategy is a winner. It really is. It's an execution. But it's a masterclass if you know how to move that queen correctly. Politics is like that. And now what's happening is is lead is lead leader is Senator Lisa Murkowski is weighing her options because this guy's gone. He's going to be gone. And she's trying to look for an escape hatch because the jackals are going to turn to her like they did to Lindsey Graham yesterday. Did you see that? That video of these QAnon and all these people, the Marjorie, the Marjorie Taylor Greene crowd of ordinary people, white people, chasing after Lindsey Graham. We're going to follow you for the rest of your life, traitor, screaming at the guy. Of course, he had security. Unlike the U.S. Capitol building, he had security around them. At an airport, they were doing this. At tr- tr- I mean, for... For minutes and minutes and minutes. I mean, they were there for an hour at least around him. Uh, just ridiculous. But, you know, again, I don't have any sympathy for Lindsey Graham. I just think these people are just out of their minds. But Lindsey Graham put himself in this position. I mean, come on. And because he turned his back this week, he even said it on the floor. Ah, you know, I can't do it anymore. Bye. And he turned his back. And that was that. Mitch McConnell's going to get this too. The blowback, right? But this is kind of after the Lord's Mayor show, as they would say in London. It's pretty much gone. The, the horse is out the, of the barn door. This guy's going to get impeached in the House. That's going to happen. It's probably going to happen by Tuesday or Wednesday of the coming week, next week. And then you're going to have the Senate And I think the Senate is also going to remove him literally about five or six days before he is due to leave anyway. And that is even sweeter than the Twitter ban. 
how are you holding up here? How are you holding up? You know, this, this, um, I think for some people, they're, they're going through so much, um, personally that, that this stuff that happened a few days ago is just another thing that is kind of perhaps some background noise because in their own personal lives, there's some really serious things going on. So, um, I just want to just ask that question and there doesn't have to be an answer from you. I'm not expecting that. Sometimes I do get answers. But how are you holding up? I want and I wish you the best. Not just now on January 9th, 2021, but every day. You and your family. And the people that you care about in your life. The people that you love. So I hope that all of that transpires. I think the coda to what I had said in the prior segment is that there needs to be media responsibility. The social media companies need to get real here and start to hire people, by the way, also in the inner circles who are black, brown, and who are women, who are female, much more. I want to see in these companies many more female employees in decision-making decision-making positions. And I'm not talking about the person at Facebook, who I don't think she's there anymore, the lean-in person who got roundly scorned and all kinds of derided, I should say. Same kind of thing, I guess. She got derided. The derision that came her way. Lean in. Oh, it's just so easy, you know. All you have to do is lean in a little bit and get your power. You know, this is the kind of thing that you would expect from a woman entrenched in patriarchy. I mean, we're all entrenched in patriarchy, but some of us choose to be a bit more alert and activated and choose to speak out against patriarchy and against misogyny and against the kind of power, the power of these men and some women who who do this too, who absolutely go along with the bootlicking and the, the violence of the power structure against women and against anybody. But particularly in this case, when I refer to lean in, you know, the violence, the systemic violence against women, against female, against the female uh, individual or the individual who is a female. So, you know, this, we need, you know, put, put some uh, women, black women in the positions of power at Facebook, in the positions of power at Twitter, in the positions of power at these newsrooms. I mean, these companies have got to take greater responsibility. And it's not just about putting edit buttons on, which Twitter did, by the way. And I was on Twitter at the popcorn, R-E-E-L, yesterday, tweeting out, we need edit buttons. And yet there actually is an edit button. There's an edit button there already, right now, you know, the last few months, controlling who gets to respond to what you tweet. That's the edit button. You can set it to everybody can respond 
Nobody can respond or only people who follow you can respond. That's the edit button right there. <laughs> I just sat there, you know, tweeting it out. Oh, we need an edit button. No, you fool. The, the edit button, we have one now. That, that only took years, right? It only took years for that to happen. Of all deliberate speed. But, um, yeah, we need to have that. We need to have uh, more women in, in, the, in power positions, black women particularly. And we, we have a few white women in those positions, but we need to have more black women in the making decisions about these platforms because it's, it's women that are being attacked the most on these platforms. Donald Trump used that platform, Twitter, to attack women to be the misogynist that he's been for his whole life, pretty much. You know, but, you know, Jack Dorsey is a white man. He saw nothing wrong with, with those attacks on black women, did he? You know, uh, as I said, you know, he, you know, um, but we need, we need, cha- we need some real um, shakeups of these organizations. And of course, we can counter with, with having our own organizations. But we need to also deal with that, all of these things. And the news media needs to put more black people in editorial positions. I do not want to keep seeing these newsrooms that look like vanilla. I just don't want to see that anymore. This is the 21st century. You've had your fun. This world doesn't look like you. In fact, it didn't look like you in 1950. It didn't look like you in 1940. This world is 90% black and brown. Whole planet. Speaking of global perspectives, which I think are more important here. I look at this world with a global perspective, not an American one. Whatever that might mean. Not a U.S. perspective, because there's a difference between U.S. and American, right? Right? Because there's North America, U.S., and then there's South, Central America and South America versus the United States perspective. So that's what I really mean. And that perspective might be different from the Canadian one, from the Mexican one, from the Brazilian, from the, and I can name all the countries in the continent of, of South America. Or the Americas, you know. But anyway, look... Um, this is what we need, right? We need to have the this kind of thing. You know? These newsrooms have got to stop looking like Opie from Maybury, Opie Taylor. We 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 we've we've had enough of this. As I said, you've had your fun. Now it's time for and there are black media organizations and I've championed them one thousand percent. And we need to keep doing that. We need to keep putting the black press we need to support black journalists, first of all, number one. And, and, and they do, look, we do great jobs. We do a good job. I think you know that. You've seen black journalists on your TVs, right? You've seen Blaine Alexander, Kristen Welker. You've seen Abby Phillips. She's a commentator more, more I'd say, than a, a, she's just a journalist too, but she's more of a political analyst. You've seen Abby Phillip. She's all of like 28 years old. She's so young. My gosh, she's like, she's really young. And I'm sorry to be putting a age and I recognize that age is something, you know, as a man, there's a certain level of privilege, right? To talking about age. 
because you know that this society is such an ageist and sexist society because it always puts women out to pasture after they're after they've turned 36 you know which is so cruel that is such an i think there's an evil in that too and I say that really sincerely and not with any sign of patronizing. And I hope that that is not how I sound to you. Because I will apologize immediately if someone tells me that you're patronizing us. I, and I, I'm on, I really mean that. I, I don't do this for gaining a... a I, listen, I just don't... This is conviction in me that's so strong on these things. And we need to keep hammering away at this so that it doesn't matter how old or, you know, a woman is, you know, or young or whatever. I'm just talking, so I kind of slipped up there, right? Because I started the, I'm the one that brought up Abby Phillips' age. So that, so that's me. See, so my blind spot has been exposed on this podcast. And we all have blind spots. We all have these things we need to work on. And I do too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an exception to the rule, you know? I'm not this moralizing figure. I mean, my goodness me, we all have. Um, we got to keep working on ourselves. All of us, we all do. And it's these journeys are lifetime journeys, folks. I think you know that. But in this case, I you know I, I think that, you know, there's plenty of black journalists out here, you know. We have to support each other. I mean, we have to support each other. And black journalists are critical to this. And the black press is critical to this. I mean, really. I've told you names so many times. Joe Madison, the Black Eagle. Although he would not say that he's a journalist. He's more a commentator um, and um, analyst and, and you know he he's a facilitator and a critical thinker is, is is who he is you know excellent critical thinker joe madison the black eagle um roland martin i've talked about many times roland martin unfiltered you can find joe madison by the way on uh sirius xm channel 126 the urban view i know it's a subscription it's about i think 20 dollars a month or maybe less than that if you can afford that, a lot of people in this day and age now with this virus and having no job and having family commitments and, you know, you've got to think about this and that and the other, you don't have the time or the money to do it with, right? And you didn't get your stimulus check yet. <laughs> it's not funny. I'm just, I just say that with a little bit of derision in my voice because, my God, you know, why not pass the $740 billion military budget? And where was that for these capital police? You know, you know, because you know some of those budget, that budget portions of that go to police departments to over-militarize them even more because we don't have enough tanks in Ferguson, Missouri. We don't have enough tanks for Black Lives Matter protesters. And, you know, we don't have enough tanks in Portland, Oregon, or, you know, or in, you know, Detroit or in D.C., you know, helicopters skimming trees in the summer of last year. You forget that already, don't you? That, that that happened. The helicopter went so low, it nearly cut the blooming trees off. It cut some of the branches off. The low, the right, I mean, God. Uh, you know, 
but you're a stimulus check. You can't even get $2,000. Well, let's hope that that changes for the people who really need this money. When, when, when we get a, on January 20th or 21st, when the new senators will come in, I think they get sworn in before that. I don't even know. But when that new session of that part of the Congress convenes, because we already we have the 117th already. It started. But I'm just saying that the Senate is not properly the way it should be yet, because you still need to get Ossoff and Warnock sworn in. Oh, God, that sounds so good. You still need to get I'm going to repeat that. You still need to get Ossoff and Warnock sworn in. <laughs> so lovely. But you know, again, I thank black women for this. I do. I, and everybody else too, but black women in particular. It wouldn't have been possible without you. You know? Here I, I say this we need to support the black press. We need to support the black press. We need to support the black press and black journalists. And we need black people in these positions to add a perspective, to add perspective, not to, oh, they're the alternative voice. No, 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 no. This kind of centering is like this invisible but really clear white male centering, right, that says we need an alternative voice. No, 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 no. You're not going to do us like that. You're not going to do us like that anymore. We are not alternatives to your voice. We are the voice and we are here and it's enough of this. Well, for the alternative perspective, for the black perspective. No, 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 no. Those days are gone. We are the voice out here. This ain't no we're the alternative nothing. This is about us. And we are here. Right. And we're going to stand right here and we're going to say what we need to say and we're going to report what we need to report. And we're going to educate people because they are being miseducated by you. This ain't no over on this side of the room. Here's the, old, here's the alternative voice. And it's so interesting because I could tell this story that I probably would get in trouble for telling. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, dearie me. I'm, I, I, I'm going to tell it, though. Um, but I'm going to tell it at a later date for a very good reason. <laughs> I know that's awfully cryptic, and some people might say, what the hell is this guy talking about? Or they may not even give a damn. I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to try to be um, acting as if I'm that self-important. Um. I do have some level of self-awareness, though, at the risk of making this about me. Um, but the serious thing is this, really, getting back to serious things here. We need to have a, uh, a newsroom that reflects not just America, but the world. And we need to have a newsroom that is committed to telling news and information not scandalizing and traumatizing you. Like I know people have told me offline that they are completely traumatized, not just by the events of Wednesday, the terror attack here in the US. They're traumatized by the coverage on these bigger, net, these bigger networks that absolutely just sends them up the wall with more stress, higher blood pressure rates, sleepless nights, 
it's an assault on your body. And then the, the noise that the breaking news signal makes and that music that comes along with it. And it just puts you on a heightened state of alert. Your endorphins, your, your, uh, the chemicals in your body just re- and your whole comportment changes and the neurons fire up and you're all on edge and you're the nails on a blackboard and you're just what the heck is going to or what the F is going to come out of this anchor person's mouth now? What Chiron am I going to see f- belched out at me on the bottom of my TV's screen? TV's. I know I know it's called a TV, a television. I like to say TV's. But on your TVs, because people have two and three of them. <laughs> we do, don't we have two and three TVs anyway? I mean, for the people who have television sets still. Because your phone is a TV, you know? Your, your laptop is one, right? TVs. You can watch television on it. Your iPad. TVs. So on your TVs, the, you, you've got the music. And, and you're stressed as F. You are stressed, man. And, and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We need a culture that, that eradicates that. And that's the culture that we need to deal with too. And the culture of these newsrooms that are vanilla. And we don't need any more vanilla ice. And, you know, we, we, we need to have a newsroom like Joe Biden even said this yesterday, that reflects the country. He mentioned this, by the way. His administration has more black and brown people in it than there are white people in it. It's the first time that that's happened in the history of the US. Even President Obama did not have that. Although, if you look at Joe Biden's cabinet, the most prominent positions are almost all white male, which... President Obama did have more black people in more prominent positions because you look at Attorney General Eric Holder, you look at Attorney General number two, Loretta Lynch, you look at the Department of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, right? Just those people alone. Oh, and did I forget to mention? Did I forget to mention? National Security Advisor, Susan Rice. And there are other people I'm leaving out. And those are all top positions. And they're all held by black people, black men and women. So one thing President Obama does have over his running mate, Joe Biden, is that he had more black people in the in the top positions than Joe Biden does. While Joe Biden administratively in his cabinet has more black and brown people in it than he does white people. That is a first. I, if I had to, if I had to pick which one I'd prefer, I'd prefer the Obama model, where there are more black people in the real critical decision-making positions. Not that those ones that Biden's put people in aren't, because they are very important positions, consequential ones, but not like those that were for Obama's administrations, those two terms. And so I'd rather have that. I mean, heck, in the best of all worlds, of course, I'd rather have both, right? More black people and brown people in these situations of power and ultimate decision makers at the top. 
Newsrooms need to reflect that. So you're telling me, or I'm telling myself, just out loud here, between you and me, that Joe Biden's cabinet is more diverse and inclusive than these newsrooms? Well, of course, of course you're telling me that. Because it's the truth. Joe Biden's cabinet is more diverse than the New York Times. And I don't care how many people at the New York Times are black and who are writing. I'm talking about the decision makers. And I'm not just talking about Dean Baquet, who is the still the uh, uh, editor-in-chief there, I think. And boy, what, what kind of leadership has he given us in the New York Times? Oh, my God. What a disaster. I, I quite ran. And, and he's a black man. I do not hesitate to criticize anybody, including me. <laughs> so, you know, I criticize myself because, I, you know, so it's like I, this is <laughs> nobody's exempt, including myself, from criticism. I absolutely do it all the time. <laughs> oh, dear. And I am told, yo, oh, you shouldn't. I do it. Darn it. Because I want to try to be better. <laughs> perfectionism <laughs> and I'm far from it so there we go uh, again the perpetual struggles to get to where you really want to be you know in your own way of thinking <laughs> how you see yourself and how others see you right that's that book that's been written a million times but written in very different ways and <laughs> Oh, dearie me. I don't want to... Anyway, you get the idea. You know, this is... These newsrooms are still lily, 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 white, lily pad, lily white, lily white, lily pad. And completely so. You know, 98... I'll never forget that video that Gillian Joseph, who is a black woman who anchors on Sky News in the UK. Really good... Uh, brilliant. She's just excellent. Um, but she doesn't get the prominence. And I like Anna Jones. And I like Kimberly, uh, whatever her name is. Oh, gosh, she's going to kill me if she ever heard that I botched her name. Maybe she wouldn't care. Kimberly Leonard. All of these people who are white, who do, they do great work too. I'm not saying that, that they don't. But Jillian Joseph should be on TV more. I want to see Jillian Joseph on TV. The black woman. I want to see her on. I want to see Vanessa Buffoe on TV more, not just at midnight. <laughs> you know, it's mid. You know, it's like one a.m. when she comes on in the UK. I'm sorry, one a.m. in the morning. <laughs> one a.m. <laughs> one a.m. of course is in the morning, but one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, you've got to stop. See, that's another thing. These organizations have got to stop putting black people on. Only on weekends and only when everybody's sleeping. Because that ain't going to cut it, folks. You know, come on. You've got us as the, as the security guards. You've got us as the receptionists. And now you've got us as out of sight, out of mind. Because if a tree falls at 1 a.m., who gets to hear it, let alone see it? Because you're sleeping. Who gets to see Vanessa Buffoe, apart from the people who are working the graveyard shift or just come in from working it, or the early riser, who gets to watch Vanessa Buffoe do great work on Sky? 
or, or, or who gets to watch Jillian Joseph? I mean, she's really good. You know? It's just... I need to put some links to these journalists. I need to put links to her on Twitter link, uh, on the liner notes. I need to put Kristen Welker, who did an excellent job at the debates. I mean, all these people. And then Susan Page, she gets to have her face all over the place. Um... After screwing up a debate. And look, she has a right to live. I'm not saying she doesn't. You know, she's been, she's, you know, as I said, she's had her um, a distinguished career. Uh, and she botched that debate. You know, she botched it. But, you know, Kristen Walker was just outstanding again. I just, you know, anyway, the great debate. Terrific. She was so good. Uh, look, that's what I mean. The visibility, but also behind the scenes, behind the cameras. I want to see black people, uh, black women in particular, black men, um, black trans. What? Why not? Why aren't we hiring black people who are trans? Why aren't we? Ha- 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 why aren't we doing that? Uh, transgender people. Period. What are we? You know, white trans, black trans. Are we hiring them? Are you hiring them? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I know. It's, it's the deafening silence. Silent night, holy night. <laughs> That's really the refrain, right? Uh, not, nothing, right? Not uh, crickets. Oh, my goodness me. Silence. Silence is violence, too, though. I mean, that's my point with my little impromptu rendition. Kind of taking it out of context. But to make a point, silence is violence, too. And, I, you know, silence is good. It's nice to have quiet moments. Very important. But in the context I'm speaking of, silence is violence. When you don't speak up and do something about these issues and problems. So let's make sure that after January 20th, there is no more coverage of this guy and make sure that we have newsrooms that give additional voices, right? Not alternatives, because the voices that are running things aren't the right voices, right? So there's not an alternative to them. It's not to legitimize them. Because if you say alternative, the suggestion is, is that the preeminent voice is the voice that's doing the destructive damage. And that ain't the thing. Even if the voice was a voice that was better than damage, right? The, there's no such thing as an alternative voice, in my view. We all have voices. I know that sounds very Pollyannish and utopian, but it's not. It's the truth. We all have voices. And let's stop otherizing. That's what that does. Oh, let's go to the the uh, uh, alternative perspective. That's what the otherizing is, right? That's the otherizing. I've done some of that. When I say hire this group, that group. And, you, you know, instead of saying, you know, hire people. But you have to say specifically who because that's the point. Visibility, activation, innovation, decision makers, behind and in front of the camera. Black, positive, conscious. Because like I say, you can be a Dean Bacay. 
and be in there and absolutely flounder, even though you've got black people in there, like great people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Excellent for her 1619 series. Yeah, there's some great things the New York Times has done. I'm a big critic of them, even as I still buy editions of that newspaper this week, but just because to, to see how they record history, how I record it, how I write it, how you write it, how you hear it, how you feel it, how you internalize it or don't. Ignore it. You could, of course, do that as well. Until it hits you in the face. A few minutes from now, from next week, next year, next decade, ever. You don't have to explain nothing to her. Take the case off. That's mine. Literally, get it back. Are you kidding me? You feel like there's only one one iPhone made in the world? No. Okay, then show me the. No, you get get a life over there. What's on your background? You better go use find find my iPhone. Go do that. Find my iPhone is on. No, no, you can't. No. I'm in the hotel. I don't care. He will right now. Hey, Did you see me just come downstairs out of the fucking elevator? Yeah, I'm trying to help. Man. No, but you're not helping. I what am. you've been is disrespectful. No, I'm trying to settle the no. situation. We, I'm, I'm asking my son has nothing to do with her. No. I'm trying to figure yeah, out what's going on. Then show me the proof. No, he's not leaving. Show me the proof. Are you show me the proof. You better get on. Let's go, kid. I'm sorry. Better get on. We have what you you see you see two black people. No, I'm not letting him walk away with my phone. No, please get my phone back. I can't. I cannot not have my phone. Get your ass off. That was from the Instagram video that you can see, and I'm going to post the link to this on the line notes of this episode. That's the same video that I played on yesterday's episode, except without the bleep, because it comes directly from, this one does, the Instagram account of Keon Harold. He is the father of the 14-year-old Keon Harold Jr. The 14-year-old who was set upon by a 22-year-old woman who attacked him, tackled him, as if she were in the National Football League here in the U.S. And lied and said that he has my phone. He's got my phone. He stole my phone. He's got it. Give me back my phone. 14-year-old boy who had never set eyes on this 22-year-old. Until literally the video was turned on. The phone video was turned on. From what you just heard. And Keon Harold on Instagram, the father, posts this information, and I didn't even know this. This is why I'm talking about this again here. And as I said, I was going to. So, you know, if people don't like this, I'm sorry. Then, then don't listen to the podcast here. And I don't mean to take that tone, but I do mean to take it at the same time. Because if you're listening to me, you've come to listen for a reason. One of those reasons might be Stories like this that happen every day to black people. Stories every day that you're not going to get a thoughtful take on in some other places. Well, you might. There are lots of other thoughtful people out here. 
I'm just saying that the perspective that I'm going to give to this is going to be something that you're not going to hear in a lot of other places. You are going to hear it on places like Roland Martin. You are going to hear it on Joe Madison. You're, you are going to hear it on Karen Hunter, who is also on Sirius XM Channel 126, The Urban View. You're going to hear it from her, right? You're going to hear it from people like those individuals and others I've mentioned. But here I go. The information that Keon Harold Sr. shared that I did not share with you yesterday because I didn't know about this information is that Mia Ponsetto heard screaming there, shouting in the hotel lobby of the Arlo Hotel in Soho in New York City on the 26th of December, 2020 had checked out of that very same hotel three days earlier. Three days earlier. So what is that about? So three days earlier, she had checked out of that hotel. And now she's back. Maybe she was there on the 24th. Maybe she came back on the 25th, Christmas Day, and now the 26th. And now she's looking at the first black person she sees, and now he is guilty, right? Because that's how whiteness works. That is the system of whiteness and institutional racism, and the racism that percolates in the pores and the heartbeats and the bloodstreams of white Americans, of white people. Right, the, 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 This split-second presumption of guilt Literally, this 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 it's, It takes that split second When she taps the hotel manager Taps him. You can watch the video. You'll see it again. You saw it yesterday if you watched. Taps the manager with her gentle touch on his shoulder, pacifying him. And particularly if he's a straight white man, that feels good, right? You've got, from, from a male perspective here, and a male, a straight male perspective, as I have, this isn't even about race, white or black. This is about from a straight male perspective, that's what this is. And from that perspective, as I sit here, I'm telling you, when that touch comes on your shoulder like that from a woman, just that little touch, that does something, right? And I'm not talking about even in terms of anything to do with what goes on below the belt. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking about in your mind what that is, what that is for a straight man. I know what that means, right? When a, when a, if a woman comes up to me and taps me like that, and, you know, innocently, I'm not talking about in any kind of affectionate way. I'm just talking to if someone taps you like that. That is a signal for something. That's an affirmation and ingratiation. And what that is also is, it's okay. Go on. 
And when I look at this video, which I think should be shown to eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds, oh no, I'm not doing this to intentionally skip the even-numbered ages in between. I'm just saying that if I had to teach this, let's say I, I did this, and I taught a class on this, and I showed this 63-second video that I've just played you the audio to, that you just heard, and I asked those 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds, what, what did they think about this? I would get some really honest answers, I think. If I asked some people who were considerably older, I would get a lot of different equivocations. I'll get some truth, but I'll also get some people who just say hateful things. I will get some truth and honesty from some of people as well, some of those people, but I will also get some hate and anger from them. I might get some anger from people who have different perspectives, but it will not necessarily be undiluted like it will be for, for children who are eight, who are 10, who are 12, who are 14. I would ask those eight-year-olds, what is going on in this video you're watching? That's my first thing I would ask. I wouldn't say anything other than that. What's going on in this video? What are you seeing? That's what my first question would be. And to those teachers listening to this out there, show this video in a class. And, and tell them, ask your eight-year-olds in your classes, your year eights, your year tens, twelves, elevens, nines, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, boom. Whatever, you know, what age, whatever the ages. And, and just ask them the first question, what is going on in this video? And, and get some answers and then do a next level of inquiry and go from there. Who's right and who is wrong? Ask him. That's, that's the kind of thing I want to do with 8, 10, 12, 14-year-olds in a classroom. Ask them. And then you start to impart your perspective and invite some conversation around it. Because what I'm going to do is tell you, she was not a guest at the... She was not a hotel guest anymore. She was a public invitee, right? As I put my legal hat on here. Yeah, this is from also from law school where you know you were taught about torts and torts are wrongs in civil wrongs. They're wrongs that are done, right? So that if you walk into an establishment, you wouldn't be doing this now in the era of the COVID-19 pandemic. But if you were to walk into an establishment pre-COVID-19 pandemic, right, there would be a certain set of duties that you'd expect, right? You'd expect to be alerted to when there's a slippery floor in the restaurant you're walking on. You'd expect to be notified, right, by some signage, right? Warning, slippery floor. But if you walk into a store, into a restaurant or something, and all of a sudden you're ass is on the ground. One, two, three, boom, you've slipped over and boom, your ass is on the ground. That's prima facie evidence on its face in Latin, right? That there is something wrong in that business, that someone did not wipe a floor, that there's something going on there and that there was supposed to be a duty to warn, 
anybody who is a public invitee to that place. Because that's what you are as a member of the public. Unless this is a private club, in which case you may be a trespasser. I remember that much from my law school days. And so there are different sets of rules for trespassers. And there are different sets of rules for public invitees. And public invitee is what this woman would be. Having checked out three days earlier, she checked out in other ways. But she checked out of the hotel. Arlo, A-R-L-O, hotel. For those of you keeping score at home. Soho. Right? She checked out of there three days before on the 23rd of December, according to Keon Harold, the jazz musician. Uh, you know, but... but uh, Checked out of there. He obviously found this information out. And I told you about Mia Ponsetto. I told you about her yesterday and her criminal charges that are in other situations. She had an interview with Gail King, which is going to be aired, I think, this weekend or on Monday. They played a preview of it yesterday after this podcast that I did had been made. I didn't release the podcast until late, but I did the podcast recorded it before this before this early interview that was played snippets of and Mia Ponsetta was interviewed by this thing I don't know where this is well she the Gail King's in New York and at the time Mia Ponsetta's back in California because she flew back and she has a lawyer next to her remember I talked about her lawyer not being I don't think she's the brightest bulb there's not kind of any allusion to Barbie dolls I'm just talking about she's not smart you just read the New York Times article about her that I linked to yesterday. She's not very bright. And she traffics in the same thing. I explained that already, so I'm not going to repeat that. But the point is, is that Gail King had an interview. And you know who Gail King is on CBS. Oprah's great friend and, and good buddy for, for, for years, right? So she's on, she's on who, who, by the way, was not good in that moderate, in moderating that debate. Neither she nor Nora O'Donnell were any good in that. Remember that debate during the primaries? The food fight? CBS debate, I think it was in South Carolina or whatever, they were horrible. They were horrible moderators, both of them, who do better work independently when um, out of that forum than they do when they're in it. Oh, gosh. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing, speaking of debate moderators and all of this. But Gail King's interviewing her. And at one moment, she's telling Gail King, Mia Ponsetta, the same 22-year-old thug, thug, is saying to Gail King, enough. And absolutely telling her to shut up, basically, to say, enough. And she's doing this hand gesture that you would do when you do that with one of your hands to open and close it, to tell people to stop talking or to, you know, the talking gesture to stop, to shut up. She stuck out her hand. And this is a long distance interview, obviously, in the COVID era on laptops. So she is with her lawyer in present is going with her hand, making that hand gesture, opening and closing her, you know, her four, the four fingers together and the thumb underneath, moving them up and down and closing and opening them together. So you know what I'm talking about visually there. I just pictured, paint that picture. She's telling Gail King that in the middle of the interview. And she's wearing a hat that says daddy on it. And I'm not saying this to objectify the 22-year-old woman. I was saying this to identify the level of comportment and character that she has or doesn't have 
if you were trying to evaluate things, speaking of asking the eight-year-old and 10-year-old, what is going on here? If I use that language for the everyday adult like yourself listening, what's going on with that? Let me ask you that. I'll ask the eight, 10, 12, 14-year-old what's happening in that 63-second video. And then I'll ask you, I'll ask you, dear listener, what's going on with someone, I don't care what their gender is, or if they're non-binary, or trans, if the person before you is telling the interviewer with her hands and with her mouth to enough, meaning to shut up, during the middle of an interview on national television, and wears a hat that says daddy on the front of it, and your lawyer's giving you a somewhat disconcerted slash dirty look as you're telling Gail King or anybody to shut up, you know, moving your hand up and down and saying enough, you probably form an opinion about them that is not favorable unless you come away from that in this reality TV era going, whoa, <laughs> she told Gail King to shut up. Woohoo! Isn't that marvelous? She really showed Gail King. That's great television. If you're of that mindset, please leave the room now and do not listen to the rest of this podcast episode. But for the rest of you, what does that represent to you? I'm going to wear the hat that says daddy on it. Daddy. What does that sound like to you? Huh? And I'm going to move my hand up and down. Enough. What does that look like to you? Untoward child. Absolutely. No disrespect to children or eight-year-old children. I mean, this is just absolute. I mean, come on. She's a public invitee. She's not a hotel guest. So there's another layer. The hotel guest has protection. More protection than the public invitee does. But similar protection. She's in the store. One of the stores in this hotel. Or an adjacent store in the hotel. You know when you go to some hotels. You have these stores that are right there. That are either part of the hotel or in conjunction with it. Right? But that is part of the hotel. It's like an extension of it. And the hotel manager, the white hotel manager, is telling Mia Ponsetto that, well, he's not telling her much of anything, really. You hear a couple of things. But the 14-year-old boy is terrified. This 22-year-old monster is running after him, tackling the boy. 14. Who will cry for the little boy, right? Nobody is except us, right? And if the boy is black, who's crying for him? Or again, out of context here, 
Randy Crawford's song, and it's not, she's not the only one who sings it, but again, like some of the other stuff that she's done, she, she does this really well. Randy Crawford. Who's Crying Now? It was done by Journey originally. I like her version of it much better, right? Who's Crying Now? Different context, different, you listen to the lyrics of that song, not quite the same as what I'm getting at here. But that hotel manager, going back to what I was saying, when you get that, ta- as a straight white man or a straight black man or any straight man, doesn't matter, Asian, whatever, as a straight man, when you have a woman, whether you know that woman or not, tap you like that in the way you, you've got to watch this for any of what I'm saying to really hit home, no matter who you are. But from a straight male perspective, when a woman taps you like that, It's powerful. And again, it's not about what's going on below the belt. It's about what the, what's going on in the mind. She's enabled you. She has, in some way, validated you. And I'm all someone that says, you have to validate yourself first and foremost. Because if you sit around waiting for people to validate you, good night. You, you'll wait for the rest of your life. And you'll be really miserable doing so. People can revoke their validation of you instantly. And that's what people can't deal with because when the press does that, then you get people taking more drugs, drinking more drink, and then in some cases ending their lives because they built you up so much, famous person, built you up so much and validated you to such heights that you don't even see yourself. You see them validating you, but you don't see yourself. You lose yourself, as Eminem would say. Different context again, but I use, I just say that because that's the first piece of music. Great song, by the way. Joe Biden used that as part of his uh, campaign, one of his commercials in the closing day, literally the day before the election or the day of. He used that. I even played it here, I think, on one of the episodes. But the point is, validation, right? It's a powerful thing, powerful. It, it, especially if we've been raised in a certain way or not raised, or we, we grew up in a household that didn't do those things. So we have to find it from others. I think people do that anyway, whether they were raised in a good environment or not. But remember, if someone else is validating you, they can also overnight or in a lickety split second take that validation away. And like the media does when they tear down people in the public spotlight and they build them up and then tear them down. Oh, they love this in England, boy. Oh, they love that. Oh, that's the place where they love to do it the best. The press, the fleet, the fleet streeters who tear down these famous people who get some of them get so full of themselves and then some of the fleet, because not everybody on Fleet Street is like this. And then some of the Fleet Streeters, these newspaper folk. Oh, no, you don't. Time to take a ride down. Come on down. And then they bring their ass down. And then they get in trouble. And then they this and then they that. And then they end their lives. Wow. Overnight validation gone forever. So when she touches him, taps him like that, he feels empowered. 
She's empowered this guy. So this complete stranger now, who was a guest, but now is a complete stranger, has now empowered this white male hotel manager to charge after, they're not charge, but go up to the 14-year-old boy instead of turning around and saying, hey, look, um, are you a guest here? No. Oh, okay, well, you need to take this outside. And you need to file a police report. And you need to call the police, but you're going to do it off-premises here. Because I'm not going to have this in my hotel. That's how you solve the problem, Mr. Hotel Manager. Instead of going up to the 14-year-old boy and his father and going, well, I'm trying to solve the problem here. I'm trying to, to solve it, to resolve. No, you're not. You're escalating it. You should have turned to the public invitee and said to her, Miss, are you, what's your room number? Oh, I don't, you don't have one? Have you checked out? Let me check it. Let me see. Have you checked in? Are you a member of the, are you a guest here or not? And if she lies, find out and verify, right? You can do that. Get someone to do that. Right. You're not a guest here. I'm going to ask you to leave. Here's your options. When you leave, right, you're going to have to do one of two things. Call the police call, or, or fill out a police report or both. But you're going to have to do it off the premises, miss. Okay? I will deal with the situation. I will talk to these two people, but you have to leave. What if he had done that instead of instantly, because of that little touch on his shoulder, start to bore in on a 14-year-old boy? Do you? What part of that is rational to you? That this 22-year-old is now, you know, running after tackling this 14-year-old boy and you think it's okay to just inquire to him? But that's a system of whiteness that makes that possible, right? Right? That says that anybody black is automatically guilty. And that anybody black has no standing here, even if they're hotel guests, like both Keon Harold and his 14-year-old son were. They have a greater level of protection because they belong there at the Arlo Hotel. But you know what? That doesn't mean jack when you're in a system of whiteness, right? That, that is racist, that is inherently racist and institutionalized racist. And so, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of standing you have at the hotel. You can be black and you can be a hotel guest there. You can wave your card key furiously. But if some wannabe white person comes up to you, and, and, and says that you have my phone or a white person says that you have my phone. And it doesn't matter. She could have come off the street two seconds ago. She could have just killed somebody and blood dripping from her hands. And I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have changed anything. He would have still said, oh, Mr. Black kid, 14 year old, do you have her phone? That's the irrationality and the danger and the deadliness of what whiteness is in a system. Systemic whiteness. That's what I'm talking about here, right? That the racist impulses get activated and it's protected by law and institutions and societies and media. And now you're interviewing this cretin who's got all these other charges on her. 
Not that they're material to this case, because if I was defense, and I wouldn't, but if I were her defense attorney, I'd be saying, I don't care about her lewd conduct charge in February of 2020, when she probably maybe exposed herself, right? I don't care about her charge in October of 2020, when she's charged with driving while intoxicated. Those have nothing to do with her chasing after a 14-year-old black kid and tackling him as if he's running down the line toward the touchdown for the end zone for the touchdown and I'm going to just tackle him and jump on. You watched the, the surveillance video I linked to. She, she pull tackles him. It's just it's violence. You imagine yourself, well, because people... Some of you listening to me have experienced this. And far, far worse. So I'm not going to, you know, go any further than that. I'll just leave that where it is. But that hotel manager is at the biggest, he's the biggest offender of all of them. All of them, meaning the two of them, because the 14-year-old boy did nothing wrong. The, the father did nothing wrong. He's protecting his son. What, you don't think a father has the right to protect his child? Oh, but he's black. Is that what you're thinking? This woman's chasing her. I mean, this is just obscene. I know there was a lot of people who support the 14-year-old. The good, 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 great. But this situation happens, that where that person gets tapped on the shoulder and they activate their own racism immediately. It's always been there in them. And then there's something that just brings it out. It's like that scene in Do the Right Thing. And I'm not spoiling Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing is over 31 years old. If you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, then you need to see it. But it's like that moment in Do the Right Thing, right? Where we find out who's really where. And we find out where Sal is, the late Danny Aiello now. But we find out where Sal is, right? And that's what we find out in this video, although in a much different way. I just wanted to bring up that because that's the piece of the conversation I wish I had had yesterday. Oh, by the way, just a correction. I said earlier about 8, 10, 12, and 14-year-olds, and I said I don't mean to skip the even numbers in between. <laughs> Obviously, I meant to say I don't mean to skip the odd numbers in between. 9, 11, 13. <laughs> oh, dearie me, just a correction. <laughs> I hope that people realize that <laughs> I didn't mean to. Obviously, I, I meant to say the odd numbers in between.
We need to turn this world right side up. That's one of the things we need to do. And every day, let's do that. This is a new year and we've got work to do. Second week of the year already has begun. How are you doing so far? The ninth day of the year. How are you doing so far? How far have you got on the mission? To change. For change. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. You don't have to explain nothing to her. Take the face off. That's mine. Literally, Are you kidding me? You feel like there's only one one iPhone made in the world? No. Okay, then show me the. No, show me all my you get to get a life over yeah, there. No, What's on your background? You better go use find find my iPhone. Go yeah, do that. Find my iPhone is off. Can, on that, right? No, no, you can't. No, I'm the manager of the hotel. Yes, I don't care. He will this is right my now. Son. Hey, Didn't you see me just come downstairs out of the fucking elevator? Yeah, I'm trying to help. Man. No, but you're not helping. I what am. you've been is disrespectful. No, I'm trying to settle the no. situation. We, I'm, I'm my son to has nothing to do with her. No. I'm trying to figure yeah, out what's going on. Yeah, we're going to have my phone. Then show me the proof. No, he's not leaving. Show me the proof. Hey, are you show me the proof. You better get on. Let's go, kid. I'm sorry. Better get on. We have what you you see you see two black people. No, I'm not letting him walk away with my phone. Better get on. No, please get my phone back. I can't. I cannot.